This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit, in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest, and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott and Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest hosts and presenters, the former governor of Mississippi, Phil Bryant, and the Honorable Morris McTeague, QSO. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. Welcome to America's Roundtable. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we're honored to host the Honorable Reiner Sachs, who joins us this morning from Estonia in the Baltics. The Honorable Reiner Sachs from 2015 to 2020 served as the Secretary General of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Estonia and was the Chief of Estonia's Foreign Intelligence Service. Prior to that, Mr. Sachs headed the Office of the President and headed Estonia's Council of the International Center for Defense and Security. He's a member of the Management Board at Cybexer Technologies, a NATO-awarded Estonian cybersecurity company. Mr. Reiner Sachs, we thank Thank you for taking time and joining us from Estonia, a NATO member bordering Russia. A good morning to you, sir. Good morning and welcome, Mr. Sachs. Good morning for everybody. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Sachs, we greatly appreciate you joining us from Estonia today. Uh, this past week, Russia invaded Ukraine from the northeast and the south via land, air and the sea. And Russia's military forces occupied Kiev's airport and now they are entering the capital city of Kiev. Uh, Russia invaded a sovereign country in Europe. Uh, this is a full-scale war in Europe. Instead of imposing crippling sanctions on Russia, uh, the Western countries were complicit. Germany, Austria and Italy heavily depending on Russia's oil. The city of London depending on Russia's tycoon's ill-gotten gains. Austria, Liechtenstein and Switzerland providing banking for corrupt Russia's elites, thus aiding and abetting authoritarian Putin's regime. Mr. Sachs, what can be done now to stop Russia's further invasion? The Ukraine is, is having our independence war. It started already in 2014. There was plenty of time actually to, to help Ukrainians to, to prepare for that because it's kind of a status quo or a frozen conflict in the eastern part of Ukraine is not satisfying the Russian Federation. Unfortunately, this policy has been not sustainable, which Europe and, and Western countries and together has been running. The, the biggest mistake was made in, in a field that, that uh, Ukraine defense capabilities could be much better if, uh, if the world leaders could support it before. But now it's kind of a last time to support Ukrainian defense forces in their fight. This is one thing to do, and very quickly, and provide some other assistance and help for Ukraine state, what they need, in both in finances, helping to deal with refugees, and um, some necessary supplies in, in ongoing weeks. We don't know how the, the military operation is going on. It looks like that Ukrainians are still holding a defense, but, but it looks like uh, they are very highly motivated and they are still keeping the defense. So Europe should not waste the time to create 
an international environment which helps Ukraine in this mortal combat. And the sanctions is very, very good tool for that in both regards. In short term, it helps a little bit Ukrainians, gives them some more time. But in long term, it should turn the Russian Federation not to go for any other escalation in any other new possible point of conflict. Uh, according to the Pentagon officials, we found out that uh, it appears that Kiev, uh, the capital of Ukraine, could fall within days. Some have suggested it could be sooner. There are 3 million people that live in the city of Kiev, 40 million in the country of Ukraine. And in a report, it appears that the European Union and the United States uh, basically are taking steps to cut Russia off from the various uh, sanctions that they're proposing. However, they're not willing uh, to take the action of removing Russia from the SWIFT global interbank payment system. And we know that the foreign ministers of the Baltic states, once ruled from Moscow, but now members of NATO and the EU, including Estonia, called on this past week to stop Russia's access to SWIFT. And for our audience, the Belgium-based SWIFT is a messaging network widely used by banks to send and receive money transfer orders or information and is overseen by central banks in the United States, Japan, and Europe. From your perspective, is this too little too late? Have the economic deterrence failed? And what are the steps that NATO and the EU, as well as the United States, can do to bring an end to this invasion? NATO should secure our eastern front line. It's, of course, something which you should do now, not to be too, too late or too little later. If we're talking about sanctions, when there is no space for a, for a long-lasting discussions at the moment, reaction should be very quick and sharp. In that case, the deterrence is working. If we are getting into uh, long-lasting discussions, Russia will cover the confidence and they start to manipulate uh, with uh, environment in diplomatic ways. And this will never end. It's uh, absolutely visible that we are, of course, in shock at the moment. I mean, the Russians, their diplomatic efforts are quite poor and uh, clumsy, and the statements are carried out just only by Moscow. So I would say that it's a very, very important moment to use and to go for a very clear and long-lasting sanctions. More you do now, less you have to do in the future. If, if, you, if you go absolutely in wise person, starting to play the tactical games, not understanding what is a kind of a strategic role of this, you will lose the momentum and you will pay much higher bill later than now. I can understand some, some leaders of the government's position because uh, European Union's countries have been dealing with a lot of several crises and they don't like to go for uh, sanctions which will limit their economical activities. But unfortunately, finally, as I mentioned already, you will pay much higher bill if you're not doing it now. Now it is quite uh, cheap. Right. I mean, we are already late, basically. Basically, yeah. Because if the sanctions had been imposed earlier, we wouldn't have come to the situation of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And like Ukraine, Estonia borders Russia. Estonia has been a NATO member country since 2004, which was well-deserved since Estonia was one of the few, if not the only country, which fulfilled the criterion of the rule of law as required by NATO charter in the East. 
Some 25% of Estonia's population are ethnic Russians. So, uh, Mr. Sachs, if we accept Russia's takeover of Ukraine at this stage, what will hold Russia back from attempting the same strategy towards other sovereign states, including Estonia? We believe and we, we have seen yet that Article Number 5 of NATO is functional. It has been used once, actually, if you, if you remember in 2001, after 9-11 events. So we, we can say that it has been tested, it's functional. And we believe that it's in, in the terms of a defense, it's still functional. And we are talking in the case of Estonia just only about the defense. What we most highly value in the terms of NATO is the nuclear terms, which is a real, the most effective one in, in, in global at the moment. But we should take into account that if the security situation is worsening, nobody likes to play with the nukes. So there can be a lot of different tests about Article 5 before, hypothetically. So all the members of the NATO should present their commitment that they are really ready to defend. And uh, I think, at least in that regard, the messages have been very clear during last months of, uh, of escalation in, in Ukraine. It's interesting to note that uh, the United States troops are mostly based in Germany. We have a great number of bases in Germany, but there has been sort of a recent debate about what is the purpose of U.S. troops in Germany when the NATO countries are much closer in bordering Russia. Uh, so there's been a suggestion and some debate about moving some of those troops, or actually all of them, out of Germany and placing them closer to the Russian border. And do you think that is a good idea? And would that become a more serious deterrent uh, with more uh, serious uh, military hardware that would be able to be positioned in a way uh, that counter any kind of decision being thought about in Moscow by the Kremlin. I can say that, of course, troops uh, located in Germany is a good deterrence already because they are quite easily deployable. Russian Federation operation design is taking it into account. They are playing at time and they are very good in that. They can hide their tasks and, and policy very well, like it has been, it has been done in the case of the Ukraine during the last years. But I think that the United States has kind of awareness about the situation. And I, I would say that we don't see that the Baltic City Array is, is kind of a, a, under the threat at the moment, because all the troops are left from our area and now engaged in operation in in the Russian troops. The biggest problem is on the Black Sea. So we should support the Romanian, Bulgaria and Hungary at the moment, and Turkey, and perhaps Greece as well. I know that the NATO and the United States are, are really taking it in a very serious way. Uh, in our case, in Estonia, we have uh, prepositioned NATO troops from, from Great Britain, France and Denmark and all of them are enlarging their presence quite uh, significantly. And just yesterday, two United States uh, jets arrived in Estonia, helping to support the air defense in, in our region. So the messages are very clear that the United States committed that everything is under the control, and uh, we should not be worried, at least in Baltic area. At the moment, we should focus on the Black Sea. Uh, Mr. Sachs, uh, it has been reported in various media 
that Russia's President Putin invited Ukraine's President Zelensky to negotiate Ukraine's surrender and committed to stop any further military advances if Putin's demands are met. Now, the demands are for, first, Ukraine to guarantee a status of neutrality, meaning not becoming a NATO member, and secondly, to demilitarize the country. Now, questions are, is that true? Can Putin be trusted? And are these demands something that Ukraine and the West can agree to? It sounds very much like Putin usually is thinking, because I think it's quite true. The second, you can't trust him on that, especially before the negotiations take place. I don't believe that the Ukrainian nation is ready to surrender. But here is already one very important change in his rhetorics. There was kind of another official announcement, but kind of a statement from a spokesperson from a, from a Kremlin that Moscow accepts uh, Zelensky as a legal president of Ukraine because the whole operation is about change the government. That's why the special forces are attacking the Kiev just to change the political government of Ukraine and leadership. It's, it's already kind of a sign that, that Russia realizes that this kind of a blitzkrieg is not going to happen in this time. And they are now trying to build up that kind of uh, situation that they can take the initiative back. I think that the text of, of a proposal is clear. It's, it's Russian one. But it's just trying to, to help the Russian troops to have a better positions on the ground. And if a Ukraine really going for that kind of, uh, kind of suicide. In that case, of course, Putin has been achieving his goal and he can very easily change the government in the Ukraine after. Can we count on anti-war protests in Russia and tycoons being very upset about losing over $40 billion because of sanctions that are you know, starting to work as a deterrent for Putin, as something that could actually lead to Putin being ousted from power? I would not count on that, because it's, um, that kind of a demonstration is a very emotional thing. You never know what's going to happen on the next day. It can have very, very serious impact on the development of the situation and events, but it can just stop in, in, in one day as well, because Russia has an enormous amount of troops uh, trained for internal different problems. And they have, especially if still it's happening in just only in one city, but M Moscow is the most important one, of course. But there are um, some other very, very important places in, in Russia. And, but, but if it's still just happening in Moscow, we are capable to manage it. But if it starts to, if the people are starting to go to rallies in, in other big cities as well, like uh, St. Petersburg, uh, Novosibirsk, uh, Novgorod, it's much more serious. I would say that it's, um, as there is no certain leaders who can organize, it's happening pretty much on an emotional basis. In Russia, it's really important, and Russian leadership knows that emotional outbreaks in Russia can be dangerous. But you never know, is it really going in that way, or is it just some one, two days uh, events. And that's it. 
I recall in 2008 when we had the opportunity to host uh, Estonia's uh, then former Prime Minister Mark Lahr in the European Parliament for one of our International Leaders Summit events, and our focus was on this very issue. Is the West going to stand strong with NATO allies and to be able to support them in their time of need? At that time, the issue was cyber attacks from Russia targeting Estonia. And in 2007, that significant cyber attack from Russia actually, for a period of time, uh, immobilized Estonia, which was very much a, at that time, a nascent but growing digital economy, where the government structures were very much on the vanguard, uh, pioneering the digital platforms and so forth. And uh, I recall Prime Minister Lahr saying that, you know, it really was an attack on on the whole infrastructure. So cyber attack is very real. It certainly can affect utilities, the functioning of government structures, and certainly immobilize an economy. From your perspective now, as one who is in a cybersecurity company and providing these services as a NATO-approved entity, uh, do you see concerns about Russia and cyber attacks targeting Baltic states that are NATO member states or perhaps other NATO countries in response to these sanctions? Yes, it's very, there's quite a high possibility for that. But in one hand, cyber is not very well defined domain yet in, in the terms of international law. And, and that's why we can say that in one hand, the cyber attacks are permanently happening anyway. The cyber is just a weapon that is in, in use quite on a daily basis at the moment. Estonia has some preferences in terms of a defense, but we have not been under such a focus of one country since 2007. And technically, the attacks in 2007 were just a piece of a cake if you compare it to the present day's attacks. We really, what we did was that we, we created quite an effective defense, cyber defense system in Estonia, which is, uh, has been tested in practice in several times. It's really working, but we not have been facing such a large-scale cyber attacks against our infrastructure since 2007. So I would say that this kind of a hepatitic risk is quite high, but we are, we are preparing for that on a daily basis. It's, it's kind of a normal part of our life here in Estonia, at least, and, and some other countries as well. I know that at Latvians, Lithuanians are quite well, well developed. The, the Ukrainians actually are, are quite capable nation on that regard. But, but I think we should not be so worried that it can be damaged our infrastructure at the moment here in this region. Uh, what is the significance of Russia's... Uh uh, actually taking over the plant in Chernobyl, where obviously there was nuclear plant there, there was a tragedy that happened in 1986, there seems to be st still some nuclear waste there. What is the significance of that? That gives you kind of a chance to blackmail Ukrainians. You can set up a kind of a nasty designs like they have tried to set up forest fires in these areas. If the forests which have been wasted by nuclear waste, if they are burning some of the nuclear waste is getting into the, into the air and if the wind is flowing from the right direction, it can damage planes. But it can damage Belarusians as well because after the Chernobyl catastrophe, actually the government was a city which got the most of this radioactive cloud. So I think it's just one tool to blackmail Ukraine's 
and control some situation around the political situation in Ukraine. But it's also but it's also suicidal, as you say, if the wind blows west or north. But if the wind blows east, it's going to get to Russia. And Russian military is also in that area. So it's really suicidal. We should not look any any kind of a sense of reason. Right. Exactly. And uh, Mr. Reiner, we've been all talking about the lack of response or leadership from the West and primarily uh, from European countries, as we've been talking about over the past few weeks. Uh, in fact, the CDU leader, the Christian Democratic Union leader in Germany, uh, who has succeeded Angela Merkel, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, just made a statement just a few days ago when she said, I quote, I'm so angry at ourselves for our historical failure. After Georgia, Crimea, and Donbass, we have not prepared anything that would have really deterred Putin, unquote. And also, Simon Cooper in the Financial Times stated, I quote, I hope we'll crack down on lawyers, public relations firms, private schools, estate agents, and political parties, not only in London, who live off the Putinist elite's plunder, unquote. And I would also add, in Washington, D.C. circles as well. So, from Estonia, and on behalf of the people within the Baltic states, what would your message be to Washington, D.C., to the American people, to American senators and Congress as to what should be done from a principal point of view uh, so that we can bring this uh, invasion to an end and to be able to truly, in a principled way, safeguard NATO members on the Eastern Front? Uh, a very simple answer for your question is that uh, if we don't like to see the rockets are hitting our cities, I mean, in the United States or in any Western European countries, we should help Ukrainians to win this fight at the moment. If we can do it, we can be, we know that we will be safe in the future. If we fail in supporting the Ukraine and if the Ukraine will go under the control of the Russian Federation, of course, that will be kind of a time for us to prepare for this next round because the handling of Ukraine is not such an easy task for the Russian Federation and it takes a lot of time to, to manage and we should focus on that. But in the case we, we will lose the Ukraine, which I believe will not happen, but in, in such a case we should reassess completely the international security organization system, how to control and uh, uh, the conflicts and not to let them arise globally. Because it's a global conflict with a catastrophic anyway, and uh, for everybody who's participating in that. At the moment, I think it's, it's, not a, it's not still something we should be worried just, but let's use our time in a smart way, not wasting any. This morning on America's Roundtable, we're joined by the Honorable Reiner Sachs, a member of the management board of the CyberXer Technologies, a NATO-awarded cybersecurity company. And he served as Secretary General of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Estonia and was the chief of Estonia's Foreign Intelligence Service. We thank you so much, Mr. Sachs, for joining us on America's Roundtable. And uh, we certainly will be keeping the people of Ukraine in our thoughts and prayers during this very difficult Hour. Thank you, Mr. Sachs, for joining us today from Estonia. Our thoughts and prayers are with the people of Ukraine, Estonia, and the Baltics. Thank you so much, and uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, everybody. Sanctions imposed on Russia were too little, too late. 
for deterring Russia from invading Ukraine. Overnight, Russia's President Putin surprised the West by the full-scale invasion of Ukraine from the north, east and the south, and now invading the capital city of Kiev. While the West was reluctant and lingering to impose any sanctions, awaiting Putin's next move, Putin saw his window of opportunity. We gave him a green light. We showed him that the US does not stand with its allies, whom we left behind during the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. And Europeans are too much dependent on Russia's natural gas and ill-gotten gains from Putin's tycoons, which are invested in European banks and the real estate. Germany was reluctant to stop certification of the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, since 50% of its gas imports are coming from Russia. Austria, Hungary and Italy have been lobbying for limited sanctions on Russia because of their dependency on Russia's gas. Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi saying that any sanctions should not include energy imports. Switzerland does not want to impose any sanctions. If we impose sanctions, it is going to hurt us, but we do not have a choice. The full-blown war in Europe would be much more costlier with the loss of life and monetarily than temporary sanctions against Russia that would cripple Russia's economy and end the war. And how will this impact America's families and businesses? Russia and Ukraine together export nearly a third of the world's wheat. Ukraine is considered the breadbasket of Europe. Oil and gas prices are set to spike further. This will further impact American families, especially the working class hit hard by inflation. In houses of worship this week and at synagogues and churches across our land, Americans will gather to pray for the people of Ukraine. The children and families who are fleeing to bomb shelters for safety. This was all avoidable. We never thought this could happen in the 21st century. It shows that peace through strength matters. And this is certainly not America's finest hour, when its leadership is more focused on parochial issues rather than advancing principal leadership. Indeed, we can do better. America's engaged citizen stakeholders must remain involved and hold to account elected officials. America's future depends on it. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lanza Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott and Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit and our distinguished guest hosts and presenters, the former governor of Mississippi, Phil Bryant, and the Honorable Morris McTeague, QSO. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.